Welcome on to the Baseline Podcast. Uh, I have another great guest today, uh, Kevin Cottrell Jr., um, researcher and producer at NBA TV. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Appreciate you jumping on. I know you're a busy man, and uh, obviously things are all go at the moment uh, in the States, but um, how, how have things been for you, and um, and tell me what you've been up to recently. Uh, things have been good. You know, obviously it's, it's been busy because the NBA season is approaching the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of good because on, on one side you're like, all right, those teams that don't really have any meaningful games to play anymore, let's kind of get them out of the way. Let's let's crank it up to the next level of hoops. So, you know, looking forward to this last week of basketball and play-in tournament and see how things go from there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 been a crazy season, man. Like that, I feel like that shortened, the shortened season has meant that all of a sudden you feel like, you know, you're a couple of months away, but really we're only a few weeks away from the playoffs. It's, it's pretty. Exactly. Exciting. Yeah. Especially when you think about it, because right now we typically be knee deep in the middle of the first round. And yeah. so, you know, actually uh, we probably be headed to the second round by now. So yeah, it's just, it's just crazy to think about. Yeah. The, the, the calendar's all over the place. Um, first thing, uh, tell me about yourself. Um, obviously you're a Chicago native. Tell me about your love of the, of the, Love for the game of basketball growing up in Chicago, how it began yeah. and then how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm an 80s baby, you know, so, so I came into the world before MJ came to the Bulls. So that's all I know. Um, you know, my first recollection of basketball is him passing to Dave Corzine and Dave Corzine not being able to finish, you know, around the rim. I tell people all the time that's my first curse word because my grandfather was cursing out Dave Cuisine every chance he could get. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so for me, I just, you know, I caught that wave of MJ, you know, the 88 dunk contest, you know, sitting up under my family members watching that. And then when the 90s came along, it's like the Bulls couldn't lose. You know, it got to the point we got spoiled where you could just kind of chill to the fourth quarter. And they weren't necessarily blowing people out in the 90s. But they, you know, they keep you at an arm's distance and then they just put their foot on your neck in the fourth. So for me, that's where the love was established. And then you're going outside, everybody wanting to be like Mike, you know, Isaiah Thomas, because he's from Chicago. And depending on what parks you were at and, and where you played, it was just really, really competitive. So uh, between the Bulls going deep into June and then, you know, our nice summers being able to play on the blacktop outside, it was like basketball was just a year round thing for us. Yeah. It's amazing, man. What um, the the evolution of of basketball and and you growing up around around that as the game got big, you know, it's well obviously you know your history and that it's it's well documented that um, where the league was at in the late seventies before um, you know Bird Magic and then obviously Isaiah and the Bulls. What those were obviously your formative years in terms of your um, your knowledge of the game and you getting into it from there. How have things yeah. how have things changed? Obviously, there's been a lot of change in the last thirty or forty years with technology um, and the way we view the game. Um, but like growing up in that time, how have how have things changed for you in terms of how people view the game and versus what it was like back then? I think now that every moment is for night. So you know, it's so funny because I uh, I was watching a um, Steph Curry fan exchange on Twitter the other day and somebody made the point that on January 2nd or 3rd somebody tweeted to write Steph off and was like see mind you the season started December 28th so we're five days into the season (laughs) and they're like uh see you know we told you Steph couldn't 
you know, Steph couldn't carry a team without Clay. Yeah. And then the very next day he scores 60 and, you know, everybody, the world turns upside down. Whereas before, I think back in the day, we kind of processed basketball as the marathon for, for what it was. You know, you see Christmas yeah. as that Christmas day was like that first tent pole, that first barometer um, of let's see where teams are at. And I and then the all-star break. And I remember Phil Jackson always saying, if you can get to 20 wins before you get to 10 losses, you're a good team. Yeah. And so I remember, no, like, even for me, I would always say, okay, so the first 30 games, the teams that get to 20 before they get to 10 losses, those are probably going to be your better teams. You might have that one team that shoots out like a cannon and, you know, they'll come down a bit. But now, man, I don't know if it's a social media or what or what have you, all the talking heads on TV, but every moment is like the end. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. the greatest or your worst, you know, depending on what, what happened that night. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, you know, we, we've had some good discussions you and I on on Twitter around the stuff, and I feel that like if if people are willing to learn, like NBA Twitter is like the best of this these times and also the worst of these times. You know, if you're willing yes. to to chat to people, and you know, you can learn a lot by by discussing discussing or reading. You know, you have NBA players on there, and and you know, maybe that's a laugh or a good or bad thing, whatever it is. But with the age of analytics uh everything being instant um trades being broken obviously like being first is more important to it seemed to be more important in this culture rather than getting things right like things things these days are in terms of nba twitter it's like a it's like it's its own world and once you once you're sort of in it like i i don't I, I try to explain to people that or people I know that don't um, either are basketball fans that don't use Twitter or trying to explain how it works. It's um, and so I feel like it's changed everything and and the information here in terms of your yeah, stats, analytics, um, things going viral. Like for, for you, like working in in basketball media, obviously, like how how things changed drastically in the last five or ten years, especially with Twitter. Yeah, so this is my 13th year covering the league. And I, I remember that first few years, we just totally dismissed Twitter. Like, even when Twitter was first launched, I might have had an account. But it's not something that we really paid attention to. And, you know, over the year, when I first started out in research, funny story, if somebody got injured, I would call the media room or media role directly from studio and say, hey, set and such got injured. Can you give me a status update? And they give me a status update. And that's how we got it on air. Now somebody get injured. It's like, have you checked Twitter? You know, <laughs> so, you know, Twitter is the information highway now. Yeah. But then now you also have to be careful. Is it a fake Twitter account? You know, yeah. um, so, you know, now you're like curating all of the teams having their own official Twitter so they can get word out faster. And a lot of them have locked the accounts that make sure that only media follows. So they may have the regular team Twitter account, but then they also have that communications account that's locked. Yeah. You have to be approved so you can get that information out. But that alone has just changed it. But again, I think the way we even do TV and cover the game, sometimes we get caught and we'll follow what's trending um, versus helping dictate what trends. So if the conversation is about, you know, Steph's, let's say Steph and Dame's deep threes. Now we do a deep dive on, Hey, let's just do a deep dive on shots over 33 feet because yeah. that's what everybody's talking about on social media. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's kind of how it goes. Now, social media is like, 
and like you said, it's the best and worst of times because you see some good stuff out there that have you thinking and have you chasing the story. And then you have other stuff that could just send you down a rabbit hole of nowhere, you know. So, yeah, it's it's definitely been a lot. It, it's definitely changed things a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me tell me a bit about your book then. Um, you've brought a book out in the last little while and, and how also looking at how written media is still relevant these days like i still think that i know there's a lot of people out there that will still want to have that hard copy of a book but with the change of the way that things are these days like talk a bit about your book and and just touch a bit on that as well yeah so the book's called ball don't lie um where i examine you know 10 basketball legends just a moment in their careers a defining moment i like to call it that many fans will connect to just like if i mentioned vince carter dunk contest you you may immediately remember exactly where you're sitting while he was doing these crazy dunks so i wanted to get the backstories behind that like vince carter was injured nobody knew um you know just things like like that like tina thompson's in the book she's the first ever draft pick of the wnba she didn't want to go to the WBA, you know, and so she was able to explain why. So a lot of it was just, uh, you know, almost like a time capsule of sorts to give those, the, I guess, those players of yesteryear an opportunity to sit down and kind of rehash the details of their career path and, you know, how they got started and how they got to that actual moment in time to discuss in the book. So it was fun. Um, it took me about three, four years to complete. Wow. Uh, just finding the time to meet with people and, and actually doing the research to get everything squared away yeah. and, and then, you know, all the way through production of it. But yeah, that, that's the gist of the book. Uh, like I said, I, I have 11 voices in it because Candace Parker's of the forward, but 10 chapters, you know, each chapter is dedicated to a different player. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. I, I think that, that the, 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 the media may, it may have changed in terms of, um, you know, the way that people consume things being more visual with video and photo. But people will always want to know, people will always want to read a well-written story about a player where you get a deep dive or you learn about yep. a player's family. Like, uh, I've got something to read later is talking about DeJounte Murray and how, uh, where he grew up and, you know, the, the, the situation that he was, him and his family were in. Mm. I feel that people, people will always, will always want to read that stuff, but it's the maybe it's the photo and video that um that's more that seems to be more prominent on social media these yeah. days but but people people will always will always want to read that in terms of narrative uh and this probably goes back to nba twitter a, a little bit um the way that that players we talk about um you know the the debate of who the greatest of all time all that all that kind of stuff like do you think that the narrative or the way that we view NBA players has changed because of social media, like, like the rings debate, you know what I mean? The, um, it, the perceived thing that you know players want to team up, um, because, you know, rings are, are deemed to be more important or are these narratives just created by the fan because of social media or like how, how have things changed? Even if you were looking at yourself as a fan, as a kid to, to where you sit in the game now. Yeah, I think, I think- Sorry, I think narrative has changed a lot because at the end of the day, they never ask how, they ask how many, right? So if you're like, yeah. how many times was he an all-star? How many times did he win? How long did he play? They don't really ask all of the things that we're debating all the time. And one of the most polarizing figures in basketball is Steph Curry. And to me, it's still mind-boggling. Like, why? Why are we debating 
what he's doing. He's so fun to watch. Let's just watch him. He doesn't yeah. really give you sound bites. He's not whining on the court. He's just having fun, doing what he's doing, and he's winning. Yeah. And because narratives are the way that they are, and he was held, put on such high pedestal for so long, now people have to pick and you know nitpick and find ways to pull him down. And, and it goes across the board with players. Like, you know, you'll see Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard will be praised all season long, and then the moment the team doesn't win it all in the playoffs, then he had to come back down and he got to start over and build his equity up. Beginning <laughs> of the year, he was an MVP. Now, <laughs> yeah. he, now he's not even discussed. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's interesting how that just goes. Yeah. Um, you have some people that just going to have full-on real estate, you know, LeBron, uh, anything, any, LeBron, anybody close to LeBron, so AD, you know, Giannis is starting to get that. But even Giannis, he's the greatest thing ever. And then he doesn't win one. It's like, He's 25, guys. Everybody relax, you know, so with the narratives. He can't win one. Okay, maybe if he was 35, you know what I'm saying, you know. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's also interesting how people cherry pick, you know. People will say uh, Giannis can't win one at 25, and Chris Paul's 34 or whatever he is, and it's like, oh, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's yeah. better than anybody that ever won a ring, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But it's like you said, it's the narrative, you know. Once the narrative is established, you kind of ride that wave and that's just how it goes. Yeah, yeah. It's going to change pace a little bit. Tell me tell me about what it's like to work at at NBA TV um and just tell me a bit about yeah, a bit about your role. Um do you do so there's that part of Turner Sports as well. That's my other question. Yeah, so we're all one one family. So, you know, yeah. the NBA and um TNT show, NBA TV, we're all in the same hallway, two studios just connected basically. Um, and it's been fun. You know, I've been there for 13 years. I started out as a researcher. I'm an associate producer now. Um, you know, so, you know, I work day to day with a lot of the talent, on air talent that people see, um, crafting ideas, you know, help bringing them to fruition. Um, you know, when we were having our NBA TV game coverage, you know, pre-pandemic, I'd go out to a city every week, you know, and, and field produce with Dennis Scott. Uh, yeah. so we have a lot of fun. Um, I also produce his, his feature, um, franchise i'm sorry called shooters paradise That's, so i got my hands all over that and yeah it's, it's just yeah it's just a thing where you know it's just one big it's like nba twitter but in person yeah you know, where you got players you got former players coaches you got you know execs then you got fans you got rabbit fans like me that when d rose is at his height in chicago you couldn't tell me nothing in the studio um <laughs> and we're just you know we're just in there having fun we're just going back to back and forth the same way people would on twitter except it's in person same yeah. crazy takes um and, and like i said we're just having a lot of fun yeah that's that's awesome man i i love to hear that the i've heard great i've heard great things about um about turner and i think that it's probably a testament of what they've built there where you know you see on the other side of the media a lot of some of these or some of these organizations you know you see people um, you know, they're having to cut back the size like Sports Illustrated or whatever it is and people getting laid off. But it's cool to see what, what you guys have built there and, and you've been able to to continue keeping that going. You know, it's 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 awesome. Yeah. Um, my next question is, you know, in the last few years, or maybe it's more than that, sort of five or six years, we've seen the, the biggest change in the NBA has been the three-point shot. Do, yeah. you, do you think, firstly, do you think um, the team's, shoot too many threes now uh and then secondly do you think there's another change coming that'll that'll revolutionize the nba you know is it, is it teams playing two big men together again or um 
you know, is there in your eyes, is, is there something that you think that could change again, which would alter the NBA landscape like the three point shot? I, I do think the fact that so many threes are shot kind of hurts the, you know, the, the overall product in, in some sense. Because if you think yeah. about it, if I say name the name the five best three point shooters in the NBA today, who would you name? Oh, geez. It's tough. It shouldn't man. even be that hard. And it, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that hard. You've, because you've got guys attempting 12 a game, though, that I'm not saying that, like, Buddy Heald is a bad shooter, but, like. It's volume, though. It's volume, exactly. Yeah, like, I feel like if he dialed back his volume a little bit, maybe he could be, like, 45%. But then it's like, should we be criticizing someone just because they're only shooting 40? You know what I mean? And that's the thing. At one point, the three of the five best shooters was in one on the Warriors. And yeah. and that's the thing. It's like you're not gonna find that many great long distance shooters. So, but I do find this interesting, and it might be something I may even pay attention to this year. Um, I don't think the same rate of threes go up in the playoffs. Yeah. And and that and that that's winning basketball. Playoff basketball is winning basketball. And so you know the regular season, you know maybe it is more so for entertainment. Um, yeah. but I do think I think ultimately we'll get another shot. You know, it won't be Shaq in terms of size and speed, strength and, you know, personality. But we'll get another dominant big that'll pull us back in a little bit. Um, The threes are always going to be there now because it is what it is. It's a part of the game. It's like the slam dunk. You know, it's probably more exciting than the slam dunk. But um, I think ultimately, yeah, it'll, it'll change. We'll get some dominant force. I mean, I tell people all the time, if Giannis, um, didn't worry about shooting from outside. He is Shaq. Yeah. Like, that's what Shaq is. He can't shoot free throws, but he'll dominate on the inside. So he's putting up 29, 15, three blocks. Those are Shaq-like numbers. He's just not doing with his back to the basket. So we already kind of have Shaq. It's just that everybody's telling him to shoot threes. Just stay inside and be. You don't need to be shooting threes. You're like Shaq. Just stay inside. And, you know, things are changing. But we'll see. This postseason is going to tell us because I think one of those guys are going to give the, the Nets – a lot of trouble. Yeah. And then that's when that value at a big man, you know, it'll start raising again. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and I think that the, the, the success of Zion Williamson, you know, the, the questions around Zion's game, you know, when he first came to the league, like, you know, I didn't watch a massive amount of him in high school, but got to watch a bit of him at, at college. And I think that his athleticism and the, the comparison, because of his athleticism and, and you know, similar size to LeBron, the, comparisons were always going to be there um but that that he has barely you know attempted any any threes like he sort of had a little bit more volume later on in, in this season but that he was able to you know score 25 points a game around 60 percent right. from the field while also you know drawing a ton of fouls um hitting some nice passes as well um it's like he is that he's like that dominant force yeah he's obviously only six 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 seven and he's not like he's not like Shaq but right. he he's almost in my eyes he's almost like the best of of both eras where you could imagine him having um you know 30 points a game as like a uh Kevin Johnson sort of style guy earlier but he has that that passing and the IQ that we see with with some of the newer big players these days and it's exciting to see a guy like that I mean maybe they haven't they haven't had the team success yet but a guy a guy like Zion is almost like a, a combination of eras and he, he's he's not shooting threes and, and maybe he does but I like that the way that that he's been developed on the Pelicans is they're just not telling him to stand out there and bomb away for 10 threes a game because 
Like, why would you do that when you have one of the most dominant forces there? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I, I think that that that's exciting for the league. Uh, in terms of the playoffs, talked a bit about you talked a bit about um, Giannis and and Embiid. Has do you think that the, I mean the East got shit on for the Eastern Conference got shit on for a while for for being pretty weak? Do right. you feel now that that we're starting to see that that the East has has more more playoff teams that are that are viable there and and it, it's not as strong as the West, but do you feel like the East is, is significantly better than what it was in the last few years? I mean, you just you just added Harding, Katie, and Westbrook to the East. You know, three yeah. MVPs and scoring champ type dude. So it's definitely going to get stronger. Um, it's just a matter of time with the shift. I think I think ultimately with LeBron coming down, it's only a matter of years left. You'll see guys run east because those teams will be trying to get stacked to combat what the Nets have. And and that's kind of how it goes. I mean, but the West has been stacked for years. I mean, seriously, it's been stacked for forever, you know. Um, this is kind of how it is. And it, it partly could be the weather. Um, <laughs> I'm saying maybe maybe better management, but but I, I mean they 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 do. I think this this year though the East Conference playoffs are going to be very exciting. Um, I know at one point in the season I was saying the most valuable seed in all playoffs was the number one seed in the East because you get an easy road. Mm. But but now you're going to get the Knicks in the second round or possibly the Hawks. But if you're getting the Knicks in the second round, you're gonna have a long two weeks because Tibbs gonna have those guys up in them. They're gonna be playing tough defense, um, and so you know it's gonna be interesting to see now how the playoffs roll because now you can't duck and dodge. So if you're the two seed right now in the East, um, your your second round is the Bucks. That's the three yeah. seed. Um, yeah. So it's like you know how, this is gonna be crazy just to get to the conference final. So I think the East, the top four for sure, has gotten. A, a lot tougher, and uh, unfortunately, um, Jalen Brown got hurt because they could have been the wild card, you know, as the lower seed. But still, Miami's a lower seed; yeah. uh, they're battle tested. So it's going to be fun to watch. I do think it's, I do think honestly, it's going to be tougher than the West this year. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I yeah. I don't trust Utah and Phoenix at the top. Yeah. Um, and unless Utah can have a crazy home court advantage over the others, because we still don't have a lot of fans. I just don't see how they're going to go that far. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I think that the that's the difference with the with the regular season versus the playoffs. And this is why I love the playoffs so much is when the game starts to slow down and you truly see how good a team is. Is when you get to the playoffs. So don't take I don't take anything away from what Utah's done this year and the last couple of years. Um, but when things truly lock in and and you know if LeBron's healthy. Or even you know the types of guys um, exactly that will be there, not just teams, but individual players that will be there to be able to put um, to put teams on their backs as as the game slows down. As you said, less threes. Uh, I love what I love what Utah's done, but in the West, there it's interesting. You really see um, the Clippers uh, and the Lakers. Like I, I was speaking to someone yesterday. I was a, a Nets beat writer yesterday I uh, had on the podcast and talking about the West basically being wide open. You know, the Lakers are right at the bottom of the seedings. AD just yep. had his first game two days ago. Um, the Clippers, you know, are looking good, but they've only just, they've only recently returned uh, Kawhi Leonard. So the West is wide open and I think that's that's pretty exciting. I would never want to count LeBron out. 
Um, but I don't think he's ever come back um, from a significant injury this close to the playoffs, uh, and obviously on a team which is which is really lacking depth um, and having to come from a low seed. I mean, he's done it on the Cavs before, but he's, I don't think he'd, he'd ever come back from a significant injury. Like, how's the how's the West looking in your eyes, and who do you think the the the, the, the top few teams will really be there? Yeah, so ultimately it, it's going to be how the final matchups come out for me because um, whoever has the Lakers in the first round is that's bad for them. I mean, <laughs> right now you're looking at what Phoenix would be their opening opening round if they get through the play in, yeah. and a short travel for the Lakers. I mean, that's just a beautiful setup for the Lakers, uh, an inexperienced team. Yeah, they got Chris Paul, but you got a team full of guys that's never really been in the playoffs. Um, outside of Chris and maybe um, it's like one other, maybe one other rotational guy. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I still think, man, I really hate that Jamal Murray went down because that probably yeah. would have been my pick to come out the West. Yeah, They're just so loaded at every position. Yeah. But now they're, you know, they're kind of out of it. You know, Donovan Mitchell's been unhealthy for a while. Um, and a lot of times I tell people the regular season is like crawling. And then the playoffs is like crawling in traffic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. going out in the street. It's yeah. hard. So it's going to be interesting to see how quick the Lakers can come together because their big three hasn't really played a much, you know, maybe a game together or two. Then they went on two or something. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to just see how it all comes together. I do like the Clippers, but I still think they're too small at some point. In some, you know, some way. I really wish they could have gotten their hands on Derrick Rose. Yeah. Um, just another guy that really puts pressure on the defense and allows Kawhi and Paul to take time off because no matter who's on the floor, Kawhi and Paul George still has to be Kawhi and Paul George. They don't really have a guy to say, okay, you know, they just, they lost their six man of the year. They lost Lou Will. They don't have that real true extra punch. Um, and Rondo, I love Rondo, but Derek would have just added another dynamic, just him with the ball in his hand, still strike fears and guys. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how they come out, you know. So if if you if I had to pick a team, I'm still gonna say the Lakers gonna figure it out, yeah. just because they just have so much size. And at yeah. the end of the day, they got LeBron. So you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it, man. But yeah, some of those some of those other matchups, like the Warriors. I mean, um, if the Warriors end up in the first round against, uh, if they end up with the eighth seed and they end up playing utah or phoenix i mean what if it if that was if it was utah one warriors eight how would that be for a first round matchup yeah the first part would be terrible for utah <laughs> they'd, have to, they'd have to take go beer off the floor you know what i mean and and yeah. now now you're taking you know your your second highest paid player or highest paid player off the floor man that doesn't leave you with much else you know yeah um so that, that would be an interesting matchup. That would be funky for Utah. You know, luckily for Utah, they do have their fans, and it would be a tough place for those young guys in, in Golden State to go play. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Utah Stadium, but it took me – I went there actually last year for the first time, and it's like being in a high school gym. Those oh. fans are really on top of people. So mm-hmm. I do feel like they have the biggest X factor. If their, their mayor and, and owner says, you know what, we're going to go to 50% capacity for the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, That could change a lot because teams going to be going from nobody in their arena to, whoa, you know, 12,000 fans, you know. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see. But um, 
I, I Warriors are a wild card. I mean, ultimately, them not having Clay, they're just going to be missing too much at some point. Yeah. Um, but they, that's scary, man. That's just a scary opening series. You don't want to open up trying to chase. Steph's been playing great ball. Draymond's woke up the last week or two. He's like, he can smell the playoffs. Yeah. And he could just get crazy. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Back to the Clippers, I think it's an interesting subject to touch on the way that the super teams have sort of gone over the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. And I mean, the argument or even the phrase of super teams, like people will be like, you know, the Lakers were a super team in the 80s. And, and whether you agree or or disagree, the way that the, the CBA is set up and, um, you know, the way that contracts are, is we we saw there were super teams with three, four guys to, um, teaming up a few years ago. And then, um, it went back to two stars last year, and then now the the Nets got back to three. Do you think uh, would it take a new TV deal or uh, potential changes in the CBA? Like, what what do you think the where does the future lie for super teams, um, and how how does that change how how teams load up in terms of giving away all their draft capital and that kind of stuff? First of all, I think the word super team is overused. Because yeah. in my mind, a, a true definition of a super team is a team that has two or more players that command a double team. Yeah. So at the end of the day, to me, the Warriors weren't a super team until they got Durant. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Like, Clay Thompson compliments Steph. So does Draymond. But the super team was having Durant and Steph. Yeah. And, oh, you know what I'm saying? With Draymond having the ball in his hands, now you got decisions to make. Same thing with looking at the Bulls in the 90s. You know, and you can call me biased. I didn't really consider them a super team. Because offensively, they had one guy that demanded a double team. I want to say the Bulls, uh, Scotty, the Bulls went to the final six times. I think Scotty yeah. scored 40 once. Yes, yes. Kyrie Kyrie did it like twice in one final series with LeBron. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Just say, It's just totally different in terms of like, you know, but, you know, that's why I think the Heat, to me, was the first one of this era because at the time, D-Wade was coming off a scoring championship. You know, LeBron's an MVP. Chris Bosh was the man that doubles in Toronto. You had three guys coming together in their prime at 27, 28. They're like, whoa, how do we defend this team? Yes. Whereas that 08 Celtics team, KG was like, I look, I'm a defending rebound. <laughs> yeah. Paul Pierce, you close us out. Ray hit some threes. It, was, it, it wasn't everybody's getting doubled. So I, yeah. I, but I do think some of the onus has to be put back on these front offices to get it right. Yeah. Um, you look at what the bulls did the last few years. I'm a bulls fan, so I could call them out. You look at what they did the last few years. You, you get the seven pick three years in a row. Um, you, you take Larry marketing, which was fine. You get that in the trade. The second year you get the second seventh pick and you take Wendell Carter instead of Michael Porter jr. Yeah. And then the next year, you know, you get Kobe White. Um, I don't really know who they passed on or anything like that. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like you got to make better decisions. You know, the Bulls needed a a point guard really bad. I love Patrick Williams. I do. I think he's going to turn out to be a great player. Should they have considered Tyler Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton? You passed on him. He would have been a nice, long, rangy point guard to put next to Zach. Now you can defend. You fortify your front backcourt. Maybe you don't get Vucevic. I don't know if things change, but but Patrick Williams wasn't in the trade. So maybe you do get Vucevic still, you know. So it's one of those things where I think it's twofold. You got these guys for seven, eight years to build. And then once you don't build and then James Harden goes, all right, I was in OKC for three years. I've been here six years. 
I'm ready to go now and really compete. Is it the players' fault, or yeah. is it OKC fault for getting these three MVPs and blowing it up too soon? And that's how it happens. A lot of times, the players get the blowback, and when all actuality, the front office has just got to do a better job. Um, you know, scouting, you know, drafting, trading, whatever they got to do. But I think it goes hand in hand. But to what we talked about earlier, all the narratives out there is driving these t- these guys to team up. You know, yeah. that's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and like, I, I think it's tough when you look at a team like the Bulls. Yeah, it's, they're like, you know, one of the biggest media markets overall for sports. And I mean, their front office was pretty bad for like, you know, probably 15 years. Like, yep, they, they, they had a great run, um, obviously with their Rose. Um, and I think that they were a pretty good team there for a while. And obviously that injury to Derek Rose was pretty tough. You know, like that they, they couldn't, they couldn't have predicted. They know that the one of the youngest, the young, maybe the youngest MVP in league history was gonna was gonna get injured. Right. Like that. But teams maybe that would go on and say, "Oh, you know, we need to change the CBA or whatever it is." These are teams that aren't making smart decisions in the draft. Um, they're you know they're they're wasting draft picks, or uh, they would say, you know, we the Bulls, for example, you know, we're trying to to find the next guy to build around. They have Jimmy Butler on the team. Um, yep. And they go and now look. They in the end they got they did get Zach Levine back, who was another superstar, close to a superstar, you know, second tier star. Um, not as probably not as good as Butler at the high levels. But what you've done is you've delayed your process of building your team by a few years because you already had an All NBA guy. You had exactly you had a guy who was between the fifth and or sixth and fifteenth best player in the league, and you've pushed that back by a few years. Now you've got Zach. And it's almost like the, the the fan base, and then maybe some parts of the media are like, "Oh, you know, look, I don't know if Zach's the is the guy. Um, why don't we go, why don't we go and trade him?" And then and then now you you're going and repeating the process. It's almost like, and I look you talk about the, the Blazers briefly. Um, I think that some teams, maybe Blazers fans might might not be happy um, thinking about the concept, but. Making the playoffs every year or the or the second round most years for a lot of fan bases like that's awesome, you know. You actually get to be there in playoff time, right. and and, and oh. that should that should be a some sort of a minimum, like that that people are like, hey, I'm happy with this. But when teams are going and blowing these things up, I just don't I don't understand why you would look to push that back when you have it so good anyway. When you or when you're already making the playoffs, Does that makes sense. Oh, absolutely, and Portland. Just think about it. Portland been to the conference finals. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, they got swept, but they made it. So, it, you know, from that standpoint, you want to look at it like let's keep building. Let's not blow this up because oh, we didn't. It didn't happen fast enough. I mean, you know, I mean, you got homegrown talent, guys that you drafted. You just got to keep building. You know, I like that they went and tried to get Roko. They tried. You know, they went and got uh, Norman Powell. You went and got a champion. You know. Uh, I mean, they, they're trying. So, you know, they got to keep plugging. Eventually, they'll get a guy, you know, if they plug. If not, they're going to mess up. They're going to give CJ away, and they're going to try to try to get some aging star, and it is going to be too late. But you got to just keep those guys until you got to keep, and then you got to keep building. So, you know, we'll see what they get going on. Um, but to your point, that's a perennial playoff team. The stakes continue to rise. They always have injuries. Like I'm like Zach Collins hasn't played basketball in like two years it seems, yeah. you know. Do you put throw in Nurkic? He's in and out of the lineup. So, 
you know, but that's a team that you at least got to respect as a fan and say, hey, they're trying. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And and as we go back to it, that that social media narrative, like it's easy for for fans to look and be like, man, I hate this team because you know we we can never make it to the conference finals and that. But it's like, oh, uh, you know, some some teams are about to make. Oh, the the Sacramento Kings haven't made the playoffs in something like ten or twelve years. Like, I think they haven't that, made the playoffs since Chris Webber was on the team. <laughs> oh damn. So yeah. what's that? Fifteen like, years, like fifteen years, something like, like that. Maybe old. Years. Five, so yeah, and so it's tough. Like, I think fans almost need to be more appreciative of the of the teams they do have, and say, yeah, look, hey, as the way the team's currently constructed, maybe Damian Lillard doesn't win a title, but you know, if you're winning fifty games year in year out, um, or or if you have a plus five hundred record for now for going nine years on and counting like you've you've got a pretty good team especially in the west when you come back to some of these other teams that just haven't been relevant absolutely and that's the thing man it's you know the fans they're not you know fans do want a good product they get behind it but also fans are speeding things up and it's just a vicious cycle right now it really is (laughs) it is man hey um we're gonna close it off here kevin thank you so much for jumping on man i hope the um Hope the gas situation doesn't get too much worse for you. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, thanks heaps for jumping on and and I look appreciate what you do at NBA TV. You guys do some awesome stuff, man. And um, yeah, I look forward to our discussions on NBA Twitter as well. Oh, for sure. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Have a have a great day. Thanks. All right, now.